The Ziggler Show comes from the legacy of Zig Ziggler and brings together personal and professional growth, business success, and faith. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this episode, succeeding when others say you can't. When someone important in your life, someone you respect or someone in authority states their lack of belief in you and your ability, it either crushes or it sometimes empowers you. But the point here is not trying to prove people wrong, but just to recognize how daunting and limiting this really can be. Uh, I start off by playing a four minute clip from Zig Ziglar on the power of setting goals. And he tells a story of legendary Notre Dame coach Lou Holtz. In Lou's first coaching job, a new head coach came in and kindly told told Lou, you're not cut out to be a coach. I encourage you to get into some other field. And I wondered how many people out there have been told by someone important in their life, someone they respect, like a parent or teacher or coach, spouse, a boss, that they should not or could not do something that they really desire to do. Again, in my experience, when this happens, the recipient often just believes and agrees with the person and does not pursue the desire or the dream. It's profound how many, however, top world leaders were told they could not or should not pursue the direction they ultimately did and are now famous for. Uh, we have to realize that anyone who ever speaks any counsel to us is, even if they mean well, they love us. They're just merely human. And I don't mean to just readily discount counsel from others, constructive criticism, constructive being the key word. I think we should always consider it, but we must also weigh it against the reality that counsel comes from a human who's not perfect. They have biases. They have their own weaknesses. They're not all knowing and they could very likely be absolutely wrong. I have been blessed with a lot of support and encouragement in my life, but I absolutely have had some examples of desires and pursuits where people very close to me advised me against it. I actually start off the show talking about an example. Uh, they said it wasn't wise or they didn't see me as being adequately equipped, even if it was nothing against me. Uh, but I went forward and I succeeded. And it doesn't mean they weren't wise and that there wasn't validity in their perspective. But in this case, they were merely wrong. Uh, they did not understand my capabilities and nobody understands your capabilities. You don't understand your capabilities. And likewise, I've had times of not feeling that someone was well equipped to do something and they proved that I was wrong. I wasn't bad. I wasn't ill-meaning. Gosh, I want to be supportive, but man, I didn't see it in them and I was wrong. So I asked the Ziegler audience who has succeeded at something that someone told you you could not or should not attempt. And as you can imagine, incredible stories that Tom Ziegler and I talked through. So I'm going to queue up this four minute clip from Zig Ziegler. Then Tom and I are going to get into your comments uh, right after I share some great products and services with you. J.C. Penney expressed it enormously well a number of years ago when he said, give me a man who is a stock clerk who has a goal and I will give you a man who will make history. You give me a man who is a stock clerk without a goal and I'll give you a stock clerk. Again, it is not where you are, it's where you go. One of my favorite stories is about the young coach who was fired from his first coaching job at the University of South Carolina. A new head coach had come in, let the old staff go, but he kind of liked this young coach and he gave him some fatherly advice. He said, son, you're not cut out to be a coach. I encourage you to get into some other field. Well, the young man at that time had a dream. 
His dream was to be the head football coach at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, he thanked the man for his advice, decided he would continue to pursue his career. Ohio State University, Woody Hayes, gave him a chance. Later, William and Mary made him a head coach. He did such a fabulous job there. He got a chance to head coach at North Carolina State University, where he built the best one lost record that school had ever experienced. He had a short stay one year in the pros, loved to teach young people, ended up as the head coach at the University of Arkansas, where he built the best one lost record there they'd ever had. One year, they were invited to the Orange Bowl to play mighty Oklahoma. Three of his players were caught with a woman in the room. He investigated it, verified the fact that it actually had happened, and without any hesitation, kicked all three of them off the team. Now, let me emphasize a point. There was his offense. I mean, 90% of the scoring and 90% of the yards had been by those three players. The media speculated that uh, Arkansas should withdraw from the Orange Bowl because they obviously had no chance against Oklahoma. They already were underdogs before he dismissed those three players. But the coach decided to take stock of what he did have and not worry about what he had lost. And he analyzed what he had, the number one punter in the entire nation, the number one field goal kicker in the entire nation. He also had the number one defense in the entire nation, and he had the players identify over and over, verbalizing what their strengths were. The rest, as they say, is history. It almost was a mismatch. They were an inspired football team. They beat Oklahoma very badly. Now, later he went to the University of Minnesota, which at one time had had a tremendous football program and a winning season. When he signed the agreement with them, he asked for two escape clauses. He said, number one, if the powers that be at Notre Dame say to me, we want you to coach the team, and if I have had you in a bowl within three years, I want to be released from my agreement. They agreed to it. Well, at the end of the second year, Notre Dame University called Lou Holtz to be their head football coach. Goals absolutely do work. But let me emphasize something very significant. They called him to be the coach the day he dismissed those three players from his Arkansas football team. They said, here's a man who is more interested in developing character and developing people for life instead of just winning football games. The powers that be said, if he's ever available at the time we need a coach, he is our man. Uh, goals built on a solid base absolutely do work. Well, Tom, as we were talking about before we started the recording here, uh, you know, I ask you, do you have anything in your life where somebody told you you could not? And the blessing was that no, you have had, I mean, you're Zig Ziglar's son. You were surrounded by the people he surrounded himself by, and you've been given encouragement. I am much the same way. I do have one single solitary, but pretty good example. You ready? I'm ready. All right. I, in uh, 2000 and uh, 2000 and what would have been six, I think we bought some land. I was in a, I was not in a good place financially. I was not stable. We bought some land and decided to build a house and we were going to build an alternative style house. And we decided we were going to design it. We were going to be the general contractors. And I was even going to do some of the labor. 
I had some guys, some well-meaning guys who kind of did an intervention with me, some friends of mine. They said, Kevin, to do something like that, you need time, money, and know-how, or at least some bit of all of those things. They said, you have no money, you have no time because you're trying to make money, and you have no know-how, because at that point in time, I had built a set of shelves. That was it, that was the extent of my contracting uh, knowledge. And they were totally right and totally justified in that. Um, I didn't, I had support from uh, a couple friends, and other than that, I didn't even share it. And we went and did it, and it nothing pointed to the, re, the the validity of it, other than I had a good track record of making things happen uh, and not failing in things. That was it. It did happen only by the grace of uh, of God. I didn't do it and come to the end and feel like I proved it. I mean, again, they were they were right in what they saw, uh, but it was one where I distinctly realized what people listening to the podcast and heard Zig's intro message uh, talking about Lou Holtz. I experienced that where somebody said, man, I I don't think this is a good fit. I don't think you really have what it takes uh, necessarily to do this in all wisdom, but I, I wanted it. I wanted it. I was committed to it and I made it happen. And I, and I say that Tom, and I don't want, as you know, we don't ever want to discount good wisdom, but we've got that. I, I don't know how, how would you say what that balance is between listening to good wisdom, counting the costs and knowing what you're up against, and then over here doing what you feel committed to, just like Lou Holtz did in the story. You've seen these stories happen. Oh, you may have seen these happen more than anybody else I know, actually. You know, our uh, kind of what we do and the way Dad uh, started the business and the way we continue to do is to uh, give people hope and encouragement, inspire them and motivate them and let them know, hey, you know what, if you make your mind up and you decide to do it, you're pretty much unstoppable. Uh, I mean, there's some physical things that can happen that could keep you from doing something, but building a house is just a great example. Is if you put your mind to it and you do whatever it takes, it's going to get done. Yeah. You know, it might take longer than you want. Uh, you might cut more fingers than you wanted in the process. Yep. <laughs> Yep. the scars of learning, but that's okay. And so the, the reason I like this subject is, uh, you know, right now it, it, it comes down to like two areas. We either get told we can't do something or we're told we don't belong. Right. And who gets to decide whether you belong or not. And there's a, there's a powerful zig story uh, that kind of comes in along this. When he was 12 years old, growing up in Yazoo City, Mississippi, his family was the second poorest family in that little town. And this is, you know, right after the Great Depression. Yeah. So this is like 1938. And uh, one of his buddies said, hey, let's go swimming. And his buddy was wealthy. His friend, their family belonged to the country club. Dad gets to the country club earlier than his friend. And the rule is, is you can't get into the pool unless you're with a member. Well, it's 100 degrees. It's the Mississippi summer. Dad's 12 years old. He's got his, you know, he's looking at the pool. His friend's going to be there at any second. And so he jumps in the pool anyway. And one of the members grabbed Dad by the ear, basically, you know, how they get kids and they pull him by the ear, pulled him out of the pool, kicked him out of the club, even though he knew that his buddy was going to be there in a few minutes, right? It was a positional power thing. So dad made a vow. 
And his vow was is he would never touch foot on the in that country club again, right? Because they kicked him out. He didn't understand. He was a young boy, not knowing. And then he said, someday I'm going to have a pool bigger than the one at the Yazoo City Country Club. And I want you to know uh, where I grew up in Dallas, uh, we moved there in 68. And by 1970, he had that swimming pool built. And it was 48 feet long, two feet longer. <laughs> I guess he had a friend go and measure the pool at Yazoo That's City scary. Country Club. I don't know. But the point is, is sometimes... When somebody says you can't do something or you don't belong, that's exactly the motivation you need to go make it happen. Yep. And there are, I mean, we've got, yeah, that to prove somebody, prove you can do something. It is a powerful motivator. It's not always the most healthy motivator, but it is a powerful motivator. Be told you can't do something. It's just so powerful. Again, like in the story that Zig told about Lou Holtz, when you have somebody that you respect, it's daunting. You know, and again, back to these guys, they were totally right. They had seen me be successful. They knew about me. It wasn't a diss against me, but they said, man, for the things that you need, we just don't see you having an abundance of those things. And that was wise counsel. But, uh, you know, once we get it on the table, we got to look and say, hey, do I feel called to this, committed to this? Is my motive strong enough? Well, here, let me go through some. We've got some great stories. And uh, my team conglomerated some of them in the topics. This one has to do with money. A lot of people who listen to us also listen to Dave Ramsey. Uh, these folks are uh, talking about his, his line of work here. Wayne says, it is what I am privileged to help others do now. You can't become financially independent. You can't live without debt. You can't go to college without debt. Uh, you can't pay your house off or buy a car without debt and on and on and on. But here we are. And I asked him, so that's your story. He says, yeah, we have been weird, which is what Ramsey talks about for almost 20 years. Living like, that's Ramsey's tagline, live like no one else so you can live like no one else. Isn't that interesting that with debt that we, saw, we often don't get the support from our culture from our society, friends, family, to be debt free. You have to be a weirdo. Marsha says, I'm debt free. And I heard comments like, it's not possible. That's the way society is. The poor get poorer. Uh, and I believe and wanted to live what God said. The only debt I should owe is love. Uh, that one is, it's, it's, a, it's a harsh commentary on our culture that being debt free is not believed much. It's not thought that that's the norm. And you have to be a weirdo to live that way, to become debt-free, especially, especially if you're you know, making pennies, everyone count. To live that way is difficult. Yeah, you know, uh, it's almost, it's just ingrained in, a, in, our, in the Western culture of consumerism that, you know what, why wait? Why, why suffer now? Go ahead, you know, buy the new car, buy whatever it is that you want, pay for it later. And without even realizing it, then we are then required to do things and to continue in an area where, where we may not want to. Uh, and then yet on the other side of the coin the, with the lie is, well, you can't do that without debt. And yet every day people do it without debt. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember uh, when we, we moved from one house to the other and the people who bought our house, uh, they were from another country and they paid cash for it. And I was thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. How did they do that? And you know what? They were doubling up. It was a much larger family than ours moving in and in-laws and things like that. Uh, but I'm sitting here going, you know what? They're teaching Americans the American dream. Yep. 
right? Because how does it get started? How do we how do we do it? We say, okay, this is what I want to accomplish. And other people say, oh no, you can't do it. What you've got to do is stand back and say, watch me. Yeah. Watch me. Yes. Uh, you know, finances. Here's this is an interesting one too, because we did have some people. I mean, my I premised this of where have you had success where somebody told you couldn't. And I had some people testify to things that they went after that didn't work out as well. But the store or the the testimony um that they got from the redemption of that, the knowledge of that. I mean, even talking about Dave Ramsey, I mean, where does he speak from? It's from a gigantic failure, from bankruptcy and millions that he lost. Well, one of Dave's dear buddies is Dan Miller, my dad, of 48 Days of the Work You Love fame. And he says, your mom told me not to buy a fitness center. I knew nothing about it, didn't enjoy the environment, but I bought it anyway. And he said, showed her, didn't I? It only cost me $430,000 in debt uh, to repay. Man, I remember that acutely, Tom. I was uh, high school, uh, just starting high school when he did that. And it was fun, man. And my dad owned a health club. I, I used to go over there and work out for free and have my buddies come over and whatnot. And then he lost, he lost his shirt, literally. And I remember, I think it was my junior year in high school, going out to shop for clothes for the coming school year with my mom. And I paid for them because they didn't have the money at the time. He was doing all he could not to declare bankruptcy, which he didn't, and it took him a long time to repay that. Though I can say he taught me how to work. He's the reason that I had any money to buy my clothes with. And David Powers comments that he says, yeah, Dan, but you earned a great story out of that one. The amount of wisdom that he got from that, uh, you know, it's like getting an MBA. You can go spend it at school or you can go lose it in business. Where are you gonna learn more? Arguable. Uh, Here's a couple on schooling, education. Tony Chung, he says uh, his issue, his focus was being an artist. In high school, my best friend couldn't draw as well as I could, but he worked hard at school. He loved problem solving. He had a passion for origami and the Japanese culture, plus a faith in God and parents who followed Proverbs 22.6. After university and the typical workforce, he decided to work as a professional origami artist. Now he's one of the best in the world. I am envious of all his success in a congratulations brother sort of way. But part of me wonders how my life would have turned out had I sought the kingdom of God first and foremost and followed his design purpose for me a whole lot sooner. Uh, John Skipworth replied under that to Tony. He says, man, I wonder the same thing almost daily. And you know, Tom, when you look at, now he's talking about an artist and I come from the sports world. And I remember realizing because I would see guys come into the sport, especially young kids and see some that were massively talented. And I, I was privy to a world of, of the arts as well and see people come in there and realize a lot of times the best artist, the best athlete naturally often doesn't always, they're not always the one that ends up on the podium because they can't pull it together just like this. Tony says, I was a better artist, but he didn't put in the work. He didn't do the Malcolm Gladwell outliers, you know, 10,000 hours and hone his craft. And I think a lot of times the people we see at the top, they're not the best, but they're, you know, they were good and then they did the work and they were able to bring it together. I mean, especially artists. I have seen so many amazing artists who can't get their lives and businesses in order enough to bring their art to fruition, which, I think it was you know Seth Godin and said then, then you're not an artist if you can't bring it to us you're not an actual artist which is uh, that's daunting but true. 
you know, speaking of Seth, he he wrote a uh, he writes a blog post every day, and I don't know how many years he's done it without as long fail, as I can remember. It's over ten years, I believe. Uh, but basically, what he said was this: he said, you know, if you take a, a small category, something that really interests you, that you want to be known for, and you spend a hundred hours in it, reading and researching and learning then you can you can elevate all right you can be one of the leading uh influencers and experts in your area imagine spending a thousand hours on it what would that then do and his point was is 20 hours a week for a year and you are in that rare position that very very few people ever put in the time energy or effort and so when we think of it that way you know golly how do i get to be the top you know what? It's putting in time every single day, mastering that. And so it used to be that the hard part was going and finding the information. The hard part was learning uh, what to do. The hard part was getting the right kind of mentor. You know what? That's the easy part now. The only thing that's left is the commitment to do it every single day. Uh, you know, the, the Lou Holt story that we've been referring to is what's on your heart? You know, a lot of times... People will will come to me and they'll say, you know, uh, I really feel like God wants me to do this. And a lot of times they ask, I think they ask the wrong question. You see, they, they ask, well, should I do this? Right? Is this the right thing for me to do? And let me just tell you, if God's telling you to do something in your heart, you go to the experts and you ask them how to do it. Not should you do it. Right. And that's where we that's where we get derailed in our life is is we 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 know what we're built for. We've got this inclination and we start off in it and we might even get some traction early on. The obstacles come and then we ask around, you know, should I do this? And the, and the better question would be, who should I ask? Who knows how to do it? You know, it's the how at that point. Uh, Dad was never really focused on should I because he he got his directions and his standard from the highest standard of all God's word. And he knew in his heart what he was good at. And so he applied himself to that and people gave him bad advice all the time. And guess what? He just didn't listen to him. He went for it. You are listening to the Ziegler show in this episode on succeeding when others say you can't. Well, next I hit on the topic of risk that Tom brought up and how often we fail to consider the risk of not doing something and staying where we are in the status quo. So we'll jump right back in after I share some great products and services with you. Okay, we're, we're going to stick right here, Tom, because you just brought up something that is near and dear to my heart in this world of personal development, uh, self-improvement that we are in. And you talked about, you, you know, risk. That, and we so often look at these endeavors. So everybody here is talking about, here's something that I wanted to do. And somebody told me I couldn't do that. And then we're, we're always weighing the risk. What is the risk of going out and doing that? And the one I love to ask, the question I love to ask is, what is the risk of not doing that, of not doing it? That has been such a primary motivator for me for so long. I mean, even back to my house thing, why did I do it? I felt such a conviction of the environment I wanted my kids to grow up in and feared not being able to afford it till after the fact, after they've already grown up and gone. And that was the motivating factor of why I said, we've got to do it now. 
And what if it's hard? What if it's tragically hard? Uh, it's, it's worthwhile. I mean, I had that motive. What's the risk of not doing it is we're going to stay in an environment that I just don't feel is optimal for my kids. It wasn't terrible. It was first world problems. You know, we were still up here in the mountains of Colorado, but, uh, it was the risk of, of not doing it. No, number one, number two, you just mentioned the, the hardships and I wrote down the obstacles. That is probably the number one. It was, it was you saying when people get into things, it starts getting hard and they ask, gosh, should I have done this? Is this really the right decision? We watch as a culture, we're addicted to watching shows and movies and the primary premise of most, especially movies, most of the epic movies that we all flock to is, as Donald Miller said, a character who wants something and they overcome conflict to get it. That is a story we watch over and over and over. That's the stories in the Bible. God says, you know, Moses, go take the people out of Egypt. And the first thing they run into is the Red Sea. And if Moses was like any of us, he would go, I must not have heard God right. That was a mistake. Instead of us looking and going, no, we should expect that. So if we're going to if we're going to embark on something, anything worthwhile, we are going to hit not a challenge, but we're going to hit what seems like an insurmountable obstacle, which is again, what we love to go to the movies and see a character do. Here's a character and he's in the corner. There's 50 bad guys and all he has is a toothbrush. How's he going to get out of this? I mean, we love to watch that because it speaks to our humanity. And yet in our real lives, we think that if it's something we are supposed to do, especially from a, I'm going to harp on the religious faction. If we think, you know, God called me to do it. And then we see an obstacle. The first thing we do is question that I must not have heard right instead of going, no, I, I should expect this. I'm going to go, God called me to do this. I'm going to step out and I'm waiting for the first insurmountable, uh, 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 uh you know, objective, uh, obstacle. And then back to you, Tom, what should we do? Go find wisdom and say, how can I do this? I love it. That's right. You know, uh, you know, dad said in his quotes on goal setting, he said, you know, achieving the goal is great but the thing that's even better is who you become in the process of achieving the goal yeah. and i just i listened to a, a, an online video from a from a guy named graham cook and he he talks about uh this idea he says you know in the language of heaven in heaven there are no problems they don't even use the word problem everything's a possibility and so one of the things that we need to do is we need to change our our idea of what a problem is into a possibility. Yes. And so he gave three, three P's that I love. He said, look, every problem comes with a promise and a provision. Hmm. And so from a believer standpoint, Hey, you know what? The promise and the provision is always bigger than the problem. And so instead of getting distraught and discouraged and upset about the problem, we should get excited about the problem because the problem creates a bigger promise and provision as we go through that. And a lot of times yeah. they're meant to elevate us. They're meant to take us above and over, you know, not just through it. And this is so young people come to me. Okay. And there's, there's two or, or, or people who are deciding on, you know, what, what life do I go for? What career do I pursue? If I go to college, which college? And if I choose a career, which career? And so I, I give some very general guidelines in that. And, and the first thing is, is you got to know yourself and your aptitude, what you love to do, some gifts and talents that you have. Maybe take some personality tests, maybe, maybe get some profiles done to see, you know, what would be simple and easy for you versus other things, things that come natural. 
and that'll tell you where to look, okay? And then you pick the one that's that, that looks the best to you right now, and you go into it 100%, knowing full, good, and well that your course may change a little bit, right? You may start off being, uh, you know, wanting to be a doctor, and then you end up saying, no, I want to be a research scientist, and the next thing you know, you're in another field three or four down. It's all related to the journey, but you wouldn't have gotten there if you hadn't gone in 100%. Yeah. And so here's the encouragement. Whatever you do, when you do it the right way, right, you can make what you do the center of the bullseye. It's, it's not like there's five schools to pick from and there's only one that's perfect. That's not true. All five will work, but it's who you are and how you apply yourself in that particular school that makes the difference. You know, Kevin, uh, I've had the privilege of, of staying in that hay bale house that you built. Yes, you have. And I think, you know what, I'm just telling everybody, it is pretty awesome. And what's interesting is that what the rest of the world would go, you're doing what? I look at it and go, why isn't everybody doing that? You know, I mean, it's, I mean, of course, at different climates, there might be different building materials to use, but for where you live, I mean, it's the most energy efficient, it's the most durable, it's got a, you know, it's got an amazing uh, living space, you can, you can create inside of it anything you want. In other words, it's got all the upsides of any other house, and, and none of the downsides that a lot of them have. And so I look at it, and I go, why isn't everybody doing it? Well, it's because the world says fit into the lie <laughs> instead of, you know, dad said this, Zig Ziglar said, success is the maximum utilization of the abilities that God gave you. Right. So if you're if, if you feel like you've been called to the to the, you know, the path that's not well trodden. Hey, maybe that's where the maximum utilization of your abilities is going to happen. That's where you need to go. And there's, you know, in my other podcast, the True Life uh, podcast, we talked about, of course, we're talking about health and wellness. And we talked in one show, we dedicated the whole show to what I think is, in my experience, is the number one deterrent for people walking out, living and walking out the health and wellness lifestyle, oriented lifestyle that they want. And it's cultural pressure that in and of themselves individually, do they have what it takes to choose the right foods, to cook the right foods, to exercise, to go to sleep at a good time, to get up at a good time, to do all these things? Yes, and yet the cultural pressure, especially to eat different, if we just look at that, just to eat different, is, is difficult. I mean, I as a you know, lifetime primarily vegetarian, I've got kids who are vegan, it's a pain in the butt culturally. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm not trying to sugarcoat that. That is one of the biggest pressures. And so when you go to, you know, the house that I built, this big uh, straw bale house, and there's so many things that I've seen, amazing business practices through my time and, and that you read books that are written on and wonder why does everyone not do this? And so to what you said, it's just not the norm. It's not the norm. We are so uh, imprisoned to the norm. And I say we, because I mean me too. It is difficult. It's tiring. I'll say that sometimes I admittedly get tired of bucking the system, 
Uh, and so I, I know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why everybody wouldn't build a house, especially up here where I live like that, but it's just, it's not the norm. It takes a little bit more effort and you got to be weird back to Dave Ramsey's live like no one else. So you can live like no one else. You talked about school, Tom, Jen Underwood. She said, my high school guidance counselor told me I definitely would not get accepted to Vanderbilt. So I shouldn't even apply. I did get in. I graduated cum laude and was one of the, it was one of the best decisions of my life. And she says, sidebar, that guidance counselor was clearly in the wrong line of work. Who says that kind of thing to someone? <laughs> I do feel like, you know, it's a place to say uh, apologies for humanity. You know, you can make a citizen's arrest, supposedly. Can I apologize for humanity and for all the people who suffered at the hands of somebody who said you can't do it. Now, again, you know, back to the guys who talked to me about my house, they didn't say that they didn't put me down. They didn't diminish me. They did just say, my gosh, looking at conventional wisdom, I, I don't see how you're going to do that. But I think what Jen's attesting to and what a lot of people got was somebody who just said, you know what? I don't see testimony to your acumen to do this. You can't do it. Just, just lower your expectations in essence. And thank goodness for the people who didn't, I mean, I wish that counselor had said, my gosh, you don't seem to have the grades that normally would fit in with somebody who's going to get into Vanderbilt, but man, if you're going to stick to it and go seek counsel and do the work, can you get in? Of course you can, but it may take you a little bit more. I mean, I do appreciate that to say, you know, if I wanted to be a sumo wrestler, I hope somebody wouldn't say it's impossible, but they might say, Kevin, you know, you're almost 50. You're not the biggest, bulkiest kind of guy. Going to be difficult. You're going to have more work cut out for you than somebody else. <laughs> you're just laughing at the picture of me as a sumo wrestler, aren't you? Yeah. And the 140 pound class. There we go. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> thanks for that. You, you know, Tom, Jen goes on to say, she has another example, someone once in her inner circle. And I want to point that out. So she has a guidance counselor and then somebody in her inner circle. I mean, Tom, you're in my inner circle. Uh, told her that she'd never be able to follow through uh, or, or do a commitment to the Avon 39. I wasn't familiar with that. It's a fundraising uh, effort. The first year she raised $3,600 and only needed 1800 to participate. And she says, I owned those 39 miles. I walked a total of eight years and raised nearly $25,000 for the program. I was super proud of myself for that. Uh, I, I, I want to hold up the gravity, Tom, of because we don't want people just discounting any negative, you know, or any constructive criticism, but we have to wait. Is it really constructive? But just to hold up the gravity, because uh, we're not sitting here saying, ah, if anybody tells you can't do it, just don't listen to them. And if it is somebody like a high school guidance counselor, somebody who's looking at your data, they've got insight. This isn't just off the cuff or somebody in your inner circle like a spouse or a family member or somebody that you have trust in that you respect tells you, you can't do something. You shouldn't do something that we can't just flippantly dismiss that we have to weigh that. And I don't think we can't have it impact us. And yet we also have to say that person is a person just like Lou Holtz is, you know, head coach. I mean, this guy knew what he's talking about. And he audited Lou and said, man, I, don't, I think you should find another line of work. He was totally wrong, but maybe he wasn't out of line. And that's, I don't have some perfect formula to balance that, Tom. 
Yeah, this reminds me of the story. We, we have a lady who's one of our uh, Ziegler Legacy certified speakers. Her name is Mahongo Fumbuelo. And I met her when she was uh, from Darwin, Australia. Mm. And before that, her family had to flee Africa for political persecution. So she's almost like a refugee into uh, Darwin, Australia. And she comes to our Ziegler certification and and she's there and she is amazing i mean she's super articulate she's got this smile that lights up the room uh very good on her feet uh and a fantastic just a natural speaker and trainer and when she goes to graduate uh everybody does a little speech and she starts talking and about three seconds into it she starts crying and the ladies would call this an ugly cry i mean she is just crying and she gets her composure back and she says, I need to tell you something. She said, a year ago in my company, uh, I was voted on by my peers as the most, most valuable employee. And she goes, it's so cool, right? Your whole team recognizes you as that, right? Leadership doesn't do that. Well, a few months after that, the company had a job opening and the job opening was for a corporate trainer. And it was for all kinds of training, uh, technical training, personal development. And they, you know, and, and, and I applied. She said, I applied for that role. That was my heart. I wanted to speak. I wanted to train. I wanted to coach. I wanted to pour into people. And so I applied for that position. They told me it would be three or four months before they filled it, uh, but they had my resume. And so then she says, a couple of months later, her whole team's meeting in the, in the corporate offices the managing directors there and they're talking about their plans for the next year. And after they got through with the plans, Mahongo said, I raised my hand and I looked at the managing director and I said, look, everybody here knows that I've applied for this training position internally, but I just want our team to know if there's a skill set that you need, if there's some sort of training that would help you do better in whatever role you're in, just tell me, I'll go research it, I'll learn it, I'll bring it back between now and then. And in front of her peers, the manager, managing director looked at Mahongo and said, Mahongo, you will never train our team. You were not cut out for it. You don't have the skills. You don't have the personality. You don't have the training. You will never do this. So think about this. This is her dream, okay? She's been voted by her peers as the most valuable employee and she gets put down by a person of authority in that meeting. And she, she, she told me later, she said, she said, Tom, I didn't know what to do. You know, I just sat down, didn't know what to say. And as I walked back to my office, she said, am I going to quit? Am I going to, you know, am I going to strike back? Am I, you know, going to sit in the corner and give up? That's when she made the decision to come over and go through that training. Well, at that point, when she told that story, you could hear a pin drop. And I said, Mahongo, here's the deal. Nobody in the world's better at this than you. You're a natural, you're gifted. You know, you've got what it takes, you came, right? And she'd already made that decision. She believed enough in herself that her big boss who had all the authority, it just put steel in her spine. And she came and I said, look, Mahongo, I'm coming to Australia. We're going to do an event together <laughs> in your hometown. So a year and a half later, we went and went there and we did this big event. Now, here is the coolness of the story. 
She's an, she, after that, she's an award-winning Toastmaster speaker in Australia. She travels all over the world speaking and training. She's got her own business, uber successful. And then about a year and a half ago, she sent me an email. Her old company, the one that she left, sent her an email, and it was the HR director. And the HR director said, Mahongo, you used to work here, and everybody loved you, and now you're a trainer. We need somebody to come in and train our people. So think about this. Because she left with grace and dignity, even though she was thrown to the, basically to the floor in, in, in that forum, she had the opportunity to go back in and make a difference there. And so I want everybody to know it's, you know what, the, the, it's not if the problems come, if the naysayers come, it's when they come. And the question is, do you already have your response in place? If you are convicted, I'm supposed to do this. Yeah. Remember, it's not should I do it? It's how do I do it? Yes. You know, and I want to pull out a couple of points that you brought there, Tom, though. I, I just happened to peek over at Facebook. We got a lot of people watching here and I see Cindy Santos. She says, told me somebody told me I could never model or do television commercials and movie parts. I did it for about 20 years. Uh, yeah, that's a great arena for people to tell you, ah, you can't do that. That's out of anybody's reach. Uh, thanks for posting in there. Uh, you know, it reminds me too. I want people to, to just hear real quickly. If you haven't heard it on the show and heard the story about Zig Ziglar pursuing his first sales job and they would not give it to him. Right, Tom? I mean, he had to ha- he was not just this natural out of the womb salesperson. He couldn't get his first sales job. And then he says he gave he, he got it and he sold really well. He sold his house and his car and then all his all his uh, ownings to pay for it. He says he wasn't doing well, you know, but you pulled out, Tom. I mean, obviously, for somebody to look at the testimony, what they see about us, they can't they can't say what ultimately our resolve will be, our commitment will be, our belief will be, even though, you know, I say belief though, there's so many people and there's some that testified here who went after something out of resolve, even though they didn't have full belief in themselves. I know, Tom, you're a fan of the book Grit, which talks about that. We think about buckling down, but then you pulled something out there too and telling that story about it, it, we all have the opportunity for personal growth. So here we are now, but you talked about what skill set do you, could you learn? What training could you get to give you the opportunity for something totally different? And we see that in a lot of these stories of somebody who said, yeah, I couldn't, I wanted, I had a dream of doing X and yet I didn't know how, I didn't have any training in that, but I went and got it. We can go get that stuff. That's why people come to Ziegler for training and go to other events and go to school and things like that. There was a guy, and it's in a book that I read recently from somebody I had on the show, and I just can't pull it out of my memory at the moment, but he told the story of a guy who dreamt of being in the NBA, except the guy was of Indian descent and he was like, you know, five foot four and very slight. And, he, you know, he goes on to tell the story. And today that guy 
is a chiropractor for one of the top NBA teams. He travels. He's in the thick of it. He absolutely loves what he does. So when we talk about dreaming, we often also, I, I want people to expand when you say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be in that industry. I want to, I want to have something to do with that type of work to look and, and, and get a little bit more broad with how could you be involved in that as opposed to just the one thing that you, th what if you want, want to be in the fitness industry, but you think I, I just don't really see myself as a fitness model. Okay. How many, how many opportunities can you get in the fitness industry or back to what I think her name was uh, Cindy. I can't remember that. I just talked about uh, over on Facebook saying that she wanted to be in uh, modeling, tell, let's just say television commercials and movie and movies, whatnot. How many people are involved in TV and movies that are never on the camera? And yet they're sitting there next to the stars. They're helping do this. They're doing this. so many opportunities within any given desire. Or as you said, Tom dream, you know, uh, our good friend, Bob Bodine, he's got the same story. He, he was working with his dad and he was a, what we call a headhunter. Uh, they would they would place executives into corporate jobs, mm -hmm. and Bob was pretty good at it. You know, he, he really enjoyed it. He loved working with his dad, uh, and he comes back in, and his dad says, "How's it going?" Because they just placed an executive, and he was doing a corporate tour, right? So they place this executive. He gets the tour of the building, and he basically says to his dad, "He says, I love what we do, but I don't, I don't, you know, I'm good at placing executives, but what I want to do is I want to place head coaches." Hmm for NFL teams. I want to place head coaches for uh, division one college football. I want to place athletic directors for top schools in the country. He says, I want to tour. I want to, I want to walk under Yankee stadium. I want to go to these different, you know, I, I want the tour of this, of this, you know, of, of Notre Dame of USC or whatever. And so his dad said, okay, that's going to take some work. Let's see you do it. So now what does he do? that's what he does right and so even though uh it's a shift and it's hard and it's different and maybe nobody's ever done that before maybe nobody's ever specialized in that area before <laughs> that just means that you get to own that yep right you get to go for it and once again you know so many times when there's a an area uh that makes you know it, it's a good area to go in and people are questioning our ability well, what happens if we learn everything we need in that area to become successful? Does it translate into other places? That's why I love people who want to improve their speaking, training, or coaching skills. There, there's not anything in life that you will ever do that speaking, training, and coaching isn't an asset, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it will elevate your game to that next level and the what you learn along the way. It's like uh, we've had Bob Tede on here before, and Bob is the – the expert at asking questions. Gosh, you know, what if you, what if that was something that you really incorporate? How do I ask questions? How do I get really curious? Will that take you anywhere and everywhere? The things you learn when you look at the professional athletes who have a career outside of sports, they'll tell you, Hey, it's the discipline. It's the everyday grind. It's the ability to seek out and learn from the best that made me a great athlete. That'll take you anywhere in the business world. 
Hey, to jump on that, Tom, absolutely. There are so many people in today's culture who have what they feel like are specialized jobs, specialized positions within companies that when they lose that position, there's a merger, downsize, whatever, they have no concept of what else they could do. Uh, I remember back with my dad, Dan Miller, and his coaching. And so often he would have these people who had, you know, executive jobs and they get laid off. And go, I, I have no idea how to do anything else. I've done this job for five years. And, you know, of course, in his economy, he's going, are you kidding me? You, we can transfer everything that you've got in there. Uh, so for people to hear to hear that. Uh, you may need to do the work. You will need to do the work to understand what are your transferable skills. But as you said, Tom, you absolutely have transferable skills. If you have succeeded in any area, you can translate that elsewhere. My gosh, I spent uh, a huge amount of my life, 15 years, for the better part of 15 years, racing bicycles. And then I stopped. Cold turkey. I started in the 2002. I did my last race in October. That was my my last competitive elite race. I do mountain bike races and stuff now, but but on the road that was it. But man, everything I learned there—the commitment, the discipline, the perseverance, the insight, the yada yada—and all that—I transferred into business. I just I want people to hear that whatever you. Uh, learn to do well, create, as you said with Bob Titi, you create expertise in or mastery in. I've told that to my kids. I don't care what you do. Just go get good at something. Anything you get good at, what you learn by getting good at that, you can transfer onto the next thing and the next thing. Well, Tom, I got one you're going to like here. You ready? Jessica Moyer. She says her, her, uh, struggle was really self-imposed. So who told her she couldn't do it? She was battling herself. So I want people to hear that. How many people may not have had somebody out there say, you specifically can't do this, but you're telling that to yourself for many reasons. So she says it was more self-imposed that I could not own a boutique boutique style gym. I never thought it was possible, but here I am a year later, loving the impact I have on women's mental and physical health. And I will say that knowing Jessica, now you spent time with Jessica face to face. I've known her here through Facebook and I see what she does and her uh, boutique style gym and health and fitness is just a front for changing people's lives for the better uh, and, and, and speaking into women's lives. And she says, I, I asked her, uh, did you just believe you could or did you doubt and fear and do it anyways? She says, I just went for it. I have built up a great following in my area. I got tired of working for someone else, for everyone else. Um, I've not regretted it at all. And there is such a great freedom and honor in owning your own business. This has also given me the courage to walk to work towards my next goals of speaking and writing. Attending the Ziegler Legacy Certification was also a catalyst in believing in myself. Uh, Thanks for inspiring me. Uh, I'm going to take that time for some shameless promotion, Tom. When is the next Ziegler Legacy Certification course? I didn't look at the dates. Yep. It's coming up in November. Okay. Um, But we also have uh, our Choose to Win coaching that we do. Yeah. Uh, which is happening all the time. So uh, if you're if you're wanting to do that, you know, uh, Kevin, you can put the links in the show notes. And for our Facebook fans, you can just go to Ziggler.com and reach out. You'll find both of those programs there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's a couple just on physical. Thomas Zelensky, he says, I finished a triathlon after nearly passing out. He says, most people thought it was just one more thing I was trying to get involved in only to dump it in a couple of months. Uh, and he had two, he says, I had two friends who believed in me and that's what made all the difference. I want to point out on that one too, that there are times I know when like 
what Jessica said, um, that we have our own history and our own testimony that we look back on and go, look, look what I did. Look where I failed. Look where I quit. Look where I didn't come through. And we have to make our own resolve that we can change. I mean, back to it's one of Zig's most popular quotes, failure is an event, not a person. But I understand the gravity of that. If you've got 15 failures behind us, if you've got uh, 15 times where you quit and you didn't come through and it hurt people and it hurt you and you're suffering from that, but still the reality that we have time after time, testimony after testimony of someone who finally got some catalyst and there's probably a, you could make a list of a thousand possible catalysts. It's different strokes for different folks. And all of a sudden they did do something and they did it differently. They succeeded. They, they, they changed and we've got to give ourselves the benefit of that, the opportunity to do that, to be that. You know, uh, this reminds me, I was listening to a podcast earlier this week and it was, about a book and I'm going to get it wrong, but the book was about uh, how to bluff and it was written by this uh, behavioral, I think she's a behavioral psychologist and she decided to uh, become a professional poker player. She'd never played cards like that before when she started so that she could read people and understand how people, um, you know, make decisions. And she was really studying mindset. And one of the stats that she threw out there was that, you know, statistically, the best hand only wins 13% of the hands in poker. Hmm. Isn't that amazing yeah. that most people fold the best hand without even realizing it because in different types of poker, you don't know what you're playing. I'm not, a, I'm not advocating poker. I'm just getting to where the mindset is. So this is what she said is if you want to win in life, uh, you know, there's different mindsets there. And so what you want to have is – is you want to have the victorious mindset or the almost victorious mindset. <laughs> and so this is kind of interesting. So what's the almost victorious mindset? It means this. It means that you evaluate your performance, your playing, your progression in your career, whatever it is, not on whether you closed the deal or won or lost or the business got started, but on how well you played the hand that you were given. Yes. Yeah. And isn't that something she said, because in poker, you know, the other guy's going to get two aces on the draw every now and then in life, the Mack truck is going to come into your life. And so the question isn't did I win or I lose? No, that's not the question. The question is, did I play it as good as I could? And what did I learn from it? How can I play it better next time? How can I go to the next level? Yeah. And so that's what I, when, when somebody says, Hey, you, you can never do that. Forget that. You know, that's, that's, you're not capable of that. Don't listen. Right. You know, the question is if you're meant to do it, the question is not why I should do it, but it's how I should do it. And then when you get into it and you're going a hundred miles an hour forward and you get hit and knocked this way or that, those things are giving you new direction. They're telling you, hey, maybe I need to look to a little left or a little right, but what am I learning in that process? I just love the word capability that you're using, Tom. I mean, somebody can viably testify to what they have seen of us thus far, what we have produced, what we've succeeded in, what we've failed in, what our propensities are, 
uh, yada yada. But nobody can ever testify to what our capability is, what our capacity is. We get to choose that every day. We get to choose that every day. And I, I don't want to miss, I'm, I'm looking at the Facebook page every once in a while and I saw a post uh, just a second ago by Deborah Smith. She says, my thoughts told me I could not be a salesperson. I'm not aggressive enough. However, I was noticed for my extremely strong work ethic. I was referred to a company for an interview. I got the job. I am a successful salesperson in the medical field. I was my own worst enemy. It was all in my head. I almost feel a little remiss, Tom, because as I talked, you know, we've talked about in the show how powerful it is when somebody who knows us tells us we can't or shouldn't do something. But of course, as, as we know, uh, the most powerful and most consistent person talking to us is ourselves and our own doubts. And I, I do love these stories of people who went after something, even though I want people to hear that, even though they may not have had absolute belief they could do it. I mean, that's kind of the movie, right? That's the Rudy, you know, of some kid thinking, I just, I can do it. I can do it. There's so many people though, maybe even more that I've experienced who have said, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have absolute belief. I'm just going to go forward and, and, and give it my all and then see what happens. It's kind of, uh, you know, like the, uh, uh, who was it? Ruth Sukup that we had on the, on the show who said, do it scared. You can't always eradicate fear. If you don't have any fear, you're a psychopath. So you've got fear, but can you go ahead and do whatever anyways? Tom, I, I got a couple, couple more here I don't want to miss. Uh, Michael Ida, he says, December 2011, I went to work for someone for the first time in 30 years. I still have my real estate business on a small scale. 18 months later, I was making $100,000 a year at, the, at a flooring job. But I gave them 30 days notice and walked away to get back into real estate full time in a city I knew nothing about. Everyone said I was crazy and foolish. Over seven years later, I'm still going with my real estate business in that town. Also, I run it remotely. None of this has been easy, but when people tell you you can't do something, simply show them that you can. It takes relentless determination. And I actually asked him on Facebook, I said, why? Why'd you leave real estate and why leave the good job to go back into real estate? He says, the job I left was selling flooring and I'm just not meant to work for other people. You can probably relate. Plus the work environment was a bit toxic, not that good. Also, I wanted to be 100% in my real estate business. I just like that story because here he is doing something and he leaves it and comes back to it. And we've seen that happen. And with you know people who are in something, leave it, come back to it with a different perspective. I mean, perspective can be everything. Sometimes we don't realize that we are in the right place, but it takes a change to realize that. All right, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say we had another comment here on Facebook yeah. from from uh, Danica Trouble. Uh, there was a consulting group that I did some work with. This is 20 years ago. Um, and the guy who ran that consulting group, um, he, he said, I want you to meet my team. And we went around and we met all these executives. And he said, I want you to know that that everybody who's an executive here, who's a partner, uh, they were all entrepreneurs and they all went bankrupt. I won't hire somebody who hasn't gone bankrupt. Huh. And I go, really, why is that? And he said, well, you know, they do need to have the after story. I do need to see a pattern of success. But you, you know what? In business, you just don't get it sometimes until you get it. And he said, we work with a lot of organizations that are on, on a thin edge and a thin margin. 
And they're only going to take advice from somebody who's walked in their shoes and been there. And so what I would say to the people uh, who are thinking, well, I could never coach. I could never train. Look at my life. I've made, you know, things have happened to me. I've made some bad decisions. Hey, wait a second. Every single person uh, listening to this podcast, you can, you can change who you are and what you are by changing what goes into your mind. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? You can change. You can step into and become the person that God created you to become. And, you know, when I read uh, scripture, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who were called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. And James uh, 1, 2, and 3 says, uh, consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And so what does that tell me? It tells me that the trials that either happen to us or we create in our own life because we didn't know better, because we got bad directions, whatever the case is, those can be turned for good. And we can then use that to make a difference in somebody else's life. Yes. So we, when I, yeah, go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, no, I, so I, was, I thought I, I wanted to pull out because you, you just read, you started off there with Danica's Danica Treble with her comment, Tom, and I'm watching on Facebook. She says, I had a friend tell me to my face, I will never hire you as a coach. Your life is such a mess. I can't even understand why you would say you are a coach. And now since, I guess since then, she says, I'm a choose to win coach and a Ziegler Legacy certified uh, trainer. She is doing the work and she is doing a trainer. But I wanted to hit that because we do have so many coaches. You're, you're actively leading the choose to win coaching program, Tom, that uh, you know, back to what you said a minute ago with the guy with bankruptcy, you know, he's going to take people. Now he does want to see a track record that they have had success, you know, since that bankruptcy that obviously if we're going to coach counsel, uh, give guidance, uh, we need to have been there. We need to understand the, the hardship. We do have to have a level of credibility to point to. I had somebody one time I'll never forget. They says, oh yeah, I want to be a career coach. I know what it likes to have a job that stinks. I hate my job. I, I thought, well, Okay, I get the feeling there, but you're going to have to have some success to speak from that maybe you've been there, but now that you got out of that. That said, though, Tom, the thing I wanted to pull out for folks, though, I have had so many people, and I know you have too, where they discount themselves because they have not reached a level of perfection. Well, in that case, nobody can be a coach, counselor, you know, guide in, in any way, shape, or, or form. I mean, my gosh, I have been paid uh, so many times for business consulting. It was business consulting in some specific areas. I am not a business. My wife said, honey, you're not really that great a businessman overall. She's totally right. I have a few areas I'm really good at. I can help you in a couple aspects of business, but I'm not the guy for overall. I don't know if there is somebody for overall, but just looking at any area, some of the best counselors, Tom, I have ever experienced are people who went through deep valleys in that area of counseling, whether it's marriage or just, you know, self-image or addiction or whatnot. And to that degree, they're always dealing with that. They're always on the journey as well. I have, I've never had, a, there's not a counselor or, or a consultant out there that can say, I can teach you because I have reached perfection. I've mastered it. I am the sensei of the world. It doesn't exist. They need credibility. So we all need some level of credibility and overcoming, but please don't discount what you may have to offer because you still have struggles in that area. It's, it's impossible. You get what I'm, you get what I'm preaching there, Tom? A hundred percent. I remember, 
Oh, years ago, one of my good friends, his name is Richard Morris, and this guy is an amazing martial artist. Uh, he's got black belts, I think, in three different areas, and he's one of the top rated uh, in one of those areas in the world. And he teaches uh, Navy SEALs and Special Forces and uh, police and things like that. And I was taking some lessons from him early on, and he said, hey, look, I need to tell you something. I go, yeah, he goes, he goes, I'm a pretty big guy, right? And so back then, I think Richard was like 6'1", 6'2", 200 pounds and fit, right? Could do the splits, yeah. kick the door, uh, you know, super strong, massive hands. Uh, and, I, and, he, and I said, yeah. And he said, there's some people I won't fight. He goes, he goes, you know what? If Herschel Walker back, this is when he was with the Cowboys. He said, if, if Herschel Walker wanted to take me out, I'd be lucky. <laughs> okay, so here's like the best in the world at yeah. something, saying that there are always there's always somebody bigger, badder, right? There's always a situation we haven't encountered before, and and so really the top the top coaches, the top leaders are the ones who have the humility to say, mm -hmm. you know what, I need to get some help. I need I need. I need a teammate on this. I need to get some perspective. In other words, they have the humility to say, I don't have it all. And by the way, uh, politics is just a great place to look of people who think they know it all, right? Yes. And see where we are. Yes. And then we're on the subject of humility. I'll tell you, the, the coach, consultant, counselor, guide, whoever, who I will respect and trust the most is the one who will also say, I don't know about a certain area. And I learned to do that in my own consulting to say, I don't know, but I bet I can find a resource for you. And I would say that, yeah, again, we talk about coaching so often that there is the dangerous pitfall of when you're a coach in a certain area of thinking you have to be the coach and the expert in every area. And as soon as you come off, like you can help me in every area of my life, I don't believe or trust you. Cause I don't think it's possible. Pick your area of expertise and be strong there and be humble enough in the other areas to go, you know what? I am not the best expert in that. Go talk to Tom Ziegler. How's that? All right. I got one more that I want to share, Tom, just because it's a great story. Melissa Schneider, she says, I quit my pharmaceutical sales job three and a half years ago to pursue my lifelong dream on training horses and raising beef cattle full time. The only family members who support my decision supported were, of course, my mom and dad. My in-laws have all but disowned me, treating me as if I'm a burden to their son. All five of his siblings have shown their distaste for my life choices as well. It's been a real strain on me emotionally, wondering if they are right. Are my dreams dumb? Should I go backwards? Go back to corporate America with a 401k? Give up on all of this. It's too hard. They, have all, they all have said a hundred times, it's stupid. I should grow up and quit chasing unicorns, she has in quotes. To back up this story, I was always gifted in sales, achieving every sales award. But in my 30s, I started searching for true joy in life. I was missing something. I had a great job, great husband, great faith, still miserable. I've always felt my deeper calling was the undeniable gift God gave me with working with animals. I sometimes wonder why I wanted to give up the money to work 10 times harder in Texas heat for a fourth of the pay, but I'm happy and the profit is growing every month. In the last few months, God has put several people in my life who all needed lessons, not something I was offering or thought I had time to do. I discussed it with my husband and decided to go ahead and accept 10 or 10 or so students. Turns out God is doing so much more in the background than using me to teach 
uh, in using me to teach teenagers to ride. I can see transformation in each of them and their self-confidence. I'm getting to mentor them in many other areas of life and share the gospel with them. It's unbelievable what life has handed to some of these kids in this one hour a week with me if, is what they look forward to most. 15 years of sales training, my faith in God and volunteering at church the first year I quit my job has prepared me for this unexpected journey I'm on with these young ladies. My husband's been 100% supportive of each stage of development for our business. We have decided it's not useful to go back and justify my dreams to the naysayers. If they're not happy for me, I do not need their approval. I thank God every day I went for it. How's that? Boy, that's like the uh, exclamation point, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, to me, it's real simple. At the end of the day, what treasures are we going to take with us to heaven? Right. Yep. And never, that's what we should be working on. You've never seen a hearse carrying a trailer full of stuff, right? That's right. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, the lives that are changed, those are priceless. Yep. And it's amazing when we see somebody go after something heartfelt, like what Melissa shared there, that the opportunity to invest and influence people's lives just goes through the roof. I see the most influence coming from those people who are working at something that they truly believe in, care at, care about, and have joy in. And one more thing, though, to Melissa's statement there that she took a big pay cut going from the pharmaceutical sales job. We have a lot of great stories of people who have done similar things. They left the golden handcuffs, the big fancy job. They went to do something they enjoyed, and they're happier now, even though they're making less money. That said, we also know that statistically, the people who ultimately make the most money are those people who go and pursue something that fits their skills, abilities, talents, giftings, and they enjoy and find meaning in. Chances are, Melissa will find herself, uh, just as she's amazed at all this going on, find herself making more money as well. Now, again, maybe not, and she'll be happy anyways, but I do want to put that out there, that the people where we find the most wealth is people doing something that they truly do care about. Just the stats. Good stats, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, thanks to everybody who posted in Facebook as we're talking live here. And of course, all the all the comments that came in uh, and made this show so rich. Tom, it's always a gift to do this with you, brother. You bet. And everybody, this is Kevin Miller, the greatest host in the land. (laughs) Well, thank you for that. I'll accept that, Tom. Well, friends, I hope you do find grace for those who do not or are not supporting you and encouraging you. Uh, But from the show, also realize they're just human and they can be wrong, totally wrong. As we said in the show, only you know know what you're capable of. I say that, though, and again, most people are not aware of how much we are capable of. But if you decide that you really want something, you want to go after it, you've got to realize that you're the only one in charge of your capability. And that capability can double and quadruple in a day. Boom. In a decision. Boom. And nobody can cite that. All they can see is what you have done in the past. And maybe what you've done in the past isn't super impressive. Maybe you have failed. Maybe you have quit doesn't mean you will this next time. So here's to you going after what you believe in. Coming up in episode 803, make a decision, then make it right. Uh, Never make a decision or jump and risk making a bad decision. Those are two ends of the spectrum that get the most focused. Well, my guest today in this episode finds middle ground in being decisive and taking action, then working to make it right. 
It also aligns with this council that done beats perfect. So my guest is Nick Unsworth. He was with me in episode 801 where his stories of business failure and ultimate success, I culminated into a show titled Declare Your Vision, Such a Strong Message. Well, in this show today, or the upcoming show, we talk about the business and personal habits that Nick most values. As a people pleaser, he cites how he's had to learn to practice self-care because as he states, if you don't care, uh, for you, there's nothing left for anyone else. And you're going to be inspired by Nick's sharing. If you missed our first show together, Nick's CEO of Life on Fire, his mission is to build the world's largest Christ-centered platform online and to raise up leaders to grow God's kingdom. Nick has reached over 3,100 people, including significant celebrities and influencers. He's just an incredible guy. I've had the fortune to get to know. He's got a big heart for people. Uh, he's a He's got a big heart for inspirational businesses and, of course, God. You can join Nick for his Life on Fire Challenge at lifeonfirechallenge.com. We'll talk about it more in the next show. Folks, till then, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. Together.